Do you want to become a better songwriter? Well, we created a very simple 10-minute songwriter personality test, and it's going to help you better understand who you are as a writer, and it's going to help you in the writer's room when you're writing with other writers, because you're going to be able to identify what kind of writer they are, maybe even have them take the songwriter personality test. If you're curious and you want to take the songwriter personality test today, just visit songwriterpersonalitytest.com or go to the link on the writingworship.co website. Welcome to the Writing Worship Podcast, a place for kingdom-minded songwriters to grow in their craft and community. Joining us on another episode of the Writing Worship Podcast, I'm Eric Nordoff. Today's special guest is Jeff Dio. Jeff joined us in our writing club back in May. And if you don't know the name Jeff Dio, you might more recognize the name of the band that he fronted. He was the lead vocalist for Sonic Flood. Back in the late 90s and early 2000s, Sonic Flood had a couple of massive Christian radio hits, I Could Sing of Your Love Forever, and I Want to Know You, and they impacted the Christian music scene, of course, but they also impacted worship. A new kind of modern worship took the scene, and churches began singing their songs, especially church youth groups. And then moving into the mainstream, the main services of churches, you would have heard Sonic Flood songs. And Jeff is now a college professor at the College of Fine Arts, the Worship Arts at North Central University in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Jeff shares some of his experiences. He talks about uh, worship today and um, back and compares it to what it was like back in those early days. And you may remember a a couple of episodes ago, I talked to Chris Hauser and Chris Hauser was the head of radio promotions for this, for Sonic Flood and um, talked a great deal about the impact that Sonic Flood had on church worship music back uh, in the early 2000s. So this is a great conversation. You're going to love Jeff's heart uh, for worship, for the worship artist, and he has a lot to say. So here it is, our conversation with Jeff Dio. Jeff Dio, thanks for being with us today. Yeah, man. Uh, it's so good to have you. Um, Jeff, I'm going to throw something a little wild at you right right off yep. the bat. Is that we often, like uh, back in the day on Nickelodeon and stuff, you had Mark Summers and he did the lightning round. And he would do it at the end of the show and you'd, there would be slime and all this. We do it at the very beginning. Okay. So I'm going to throw some lightning round questions at you. Don't think too hard. Just go with your gut on, on whatever you're feeling here. First of all, on a scale of 1 to 10... One being the worst day of your life, ten being the best day of your life. How are you doing today? Ooh, um, I'd say eight. Strong eight. Yeah, man. Amazing. It's a good day. Okay. It's a good day. <laughs> bring, Jeff, bringing the eight energy to the writing. Oh, <laughs> love that. Um, okay, if you were on a desert island and you could take the catalog of three songwriters with you, 
They don't have to be Christian writers. They could, they can be. What three writers would you take? Oh man, I am horrible at this stuff. Uh, you would think that you know, being <laughs> in a songwriter club, that I would have all the songwriters memorized and everything. You know, I don't, I don't even know. To be honest. What comes uh, to you? What's what's your gut saying? My gut, um, or even current favorites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm more. I would more know the artist than than the writers, probably. Which is weird that we're you know we're doing this writer thing. I just don't. Uh, I would say you know. I mean, like if we go back in the day, like I would be like uh, Phil Collins, Genesis, you know, oh, yeah. uh, Chicago yeah. stuff. But I don't know who wrote all that stuff. I mean, obviously Phil Collins is a writer, so maybe I would yeah. take his stuff. Um, and then like current man, I just love the Mav City stuff. So uh, Dante Bowie and man, um, I forget everybody's names, but that would be that would be some of my yeah. stuff as well. Yeah, totally. Phil Collins, I feel like you get a good mix of so many decades, even. Yes. Such a long. I mean, I feel like he's for as popular as he is, he's still underrated as a as a musician. Yes. And as a writer. Yeah. Absolutely. Eric and I were just talking about Phil Collins yesterday. Um, okay, here's my final lightning round question for you. What's one recent song that you've heard that you wish you would have written? Like you thought it was so good. Uh let's see here. There's, <laughs> there's a couple that, and I don't know how recent you were talking about, like just recent, recent, but there's <laughs> the, the thing that comes to mind, which is what this is supposed to be. Right. Right. Um, there's a couple of songs that I've told my wife that uh, it's one in particular that I want, like if I die, <laughs> like, like I want you to play this song at my funeral. Um, and uh, it's, why is it escaping me? I'm going to find it here though, but uh, hold that thought. Hold that thought. <laughs> What's it called? You know, another song that, that I always, because in my songwriting, I teach songwriting at North Central University up here yeah. in Minneapolis. And so just finished that semester. Um, the song Blessings. Um, from Jenny Riddle. Oh, um, is it? Um, I know. I know what you're talking about. I think it was a radio hit maybe ten years ago. Uh huh. It's an amazing yep. song. Who is it? Um, it I I don't what know. Is the, What's her name? Tears. Yep. Yeah, that's a great little song. Um, I have to I have to find that other one. But anyways, yeah. Laura's story. What? That it, Laura's story. That's it. Yes, Laura's story. I always think it's Jenny Riddle, but she's the one who wrote Revelation song. Uh-huh. What a great song. The B- Blessings. I, I, Someone had referenced it recently. I was like, I don't think I know it. And I looked it up. I was like, oh, I've heard this. It's, yes. a, it's a pretty striking song. And the fact that I think even that they did that song, and if I, I, don't, I don't know exactly, but I met, I think it was a pretty big radio hit, right? Yeah. Yep. yeah. And the fact that, that something like that made its way to K-Love, um, even... It might not seem that striking, but just these days, you know. Being well, around- and and if you listen to the recording, like the recording is not great. Like as far as the quality, the production, all that stuff, it's just one of those proofs 
that songs drive the industry more than anything. You know, and we talk about this a ton, but but that song in particular, like it's just the vocals too loud, the piano's not a great, it's not great, but the song, like literally, I played in songwriting every semester and I tear up. And I did find uh the other song. Let's see if you guys remember this. Oh, we can't hear it. Oh, you can? Maybe it's original sound. Can't hear anything? No, do you have original sound on, on Zoom? I don't know. Where is that? Where do I turn that off? It's like up in the left-hand corner. You can turn on it. There's usually a toggle switch. With that? Wow, that's a new one for me. Up in the right-hand corner, I see view. Oh, you know what? It's a, I feel like it's a setting in preferences. You have to go turn it on, and then it gives you a little button that's always there. No no biggie. What's we're, what, we're, What's the song, though? That's so weird. So if I play it from my computer, would you be able to hear it? Or it's maybe, but but it, Zoom has a setting that it uh, it 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 basically filters out everything but the human voice, unless you turn that off. That is very interesting. Uh, it's called. It's an un, untitled hymn from Chris Rice. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's that's why you need. To... <laughs> um. Someone throw that in the chat and everyone can go look it up. Yeah, yeah. Untitled. People are already saying, there it is, come to Jesus. Yeah, but it's it's called Untitled Hymn, parenthesis, come to Jesus. Okay. And you got to have that one at your funeral if you die. Okay. That's the one. That's the one you're going to have played. It just kills me every time, man. I mean, I'm like, I mean, I'm a little bit sensitive. Like, I would cry. It's not like I'm ever going to cry. So, but that song, I mean, I played it. Again, every year it's in songwriting, I'll play it. And I'm sitting there going, okay, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. But yeah, uh-huh. it's powerful, man. Go listen to that song again if you haven't listened to that song. <laughs> okay, Untitled Hymn, Come to Jesus from Chris Rice. Well, I feel like there's so many things. Jeff, you teach songwriting. I just want to dive in on uh, that I'm fascinated about. I, and I, I do want to get to that stuff for sure. So let's carve out some time for that. But I also, you're, before we before we jumped in here, you, you were yeah. sharing your history um, a lot of it started in the music industry anyway with the band Sonic Flood, yep. which is fascinating to me for so many reasons. But like walk us through what's the at least, you know, the the three to five minute version of like the history of yeah. how that even came about in a time when, as you guys were forming, that wasn't even a big thing. Like the Exactly, worship. exactly. Well, I'll just jump back just real quick. Just uh, like started playing, like got saved when I was four, started playing the piano when I was six. Good old mom and dad put me in piano lessons. And it started to take for me. I took classical piano. But the thing that made me continue playing was I would just start writing stuff, just playing, just making up stuff. I started playing with heart and soul. That And just making up stuff around that song. I mean, when I was like seven or eight or something like that. And then, uh, but then in, uh, when I was in middle school, I discovered that if you played songs around a piano, the girls would gather around. And so I just did that, you know. Yeah. And then in high school, uh, I, I, I started writing more scripture songs because I was like, okay, I feel like my high school buddies, a lot of them are starting to kind of fall away from the Lord. And I just really wanted to bring a challenge. Uh, went to college, started at Wheaton College as a classical pianist performance major. Crazy. Uh, knew I didn't want to be a classical artist or anything. So a year and a half into it, transferred to Anderson University 
Uh, Gloria Gaither was my songwriting teacher. I got an A. Let's go. And uh, <laughs> she she taught me uh, so much. Met my wife in songwriting class as well, Martha. So wait a second. Pause. Did you know that boss lady, Chrissy Nordoff, was at Anderson as well? Mm. I mean, surely it was right around the same time. That that must be part of the connection, but I don't think we were there at the same time because I've got to be older than her. I'm 53. I don't know, but we've been close. It would have been close, but I maybe maybe it's a few years. Graduated off. 92, so okay. whatever about it. Back in the 1900s, you know. <laughs> right. um. Okay, so so you're at Glory Gaither though, also a mentor yeah. of Chris. He's amazing. Yeah, and then what? And then then where from there? So you know, just really, I I, I was really more of a key, a pianist and a songwriter. Back in those days, like never really. I mean, I only sang because I needed to because somebody needed to sing my songs. But I would a lot of times write songs for other really talented singers in college. And but then I started writing rap music. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And because uh, I have this heart for the next generation. I mean, I'm a 31 year volunteer uh, youth worker still on Wednesday nights. That's where you'll find me uh, just serving, helping, pouring into young people, small groups, occasionally preach. Uh, my local church, but just have a huge heart for the next generation. So I found that rap music was this great way to be able to kind of preach in an artistic form and stuff. So actually, after I graduated, we moved to Nashville and I, I did two rap albums. Uh, now that was before Spotify, before Apple Music, before MP3. You know, so I released those on cassette and CD. Um, so they're out there. I think I've seen a couple on eBay. You know. <laughs> But I think I think somebody did upload something to YouTube too. So, uh, but little rap music from Jeb Dio. Is it uh, under your name? Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. So we can yeah, go I mean, find like, it. Like for example, uh, there's. That's amazing. Go the distance. That's album number two. So this is mid. You're talking mid '90s. So this is like DC Talk era. Yeah, exactly. I mean, literally, you know, DC Talk hadn't done what they did. I would have been DC Talk. <laughs> definitely most definitely <laughs> and i mean i'm so glad that it didn't go that way because the lord knows best but uh it was 1993 you know and 95 so when wow. that was happening and but uh love that genre i don't i wouldn't say that it was probably i mean it's good music but it's not great great music so as far as me i mean me as a rapper uh but then um i i knew the guys in dc talks band at that time because the guys who played for him. So their keyboardists came to my church. We became friends. Uh, they started a band called Zilch. And Toby Mack was very brilliant, is very brilliant as far as his business savvy and all that. Uh, started Goatee Records, signed, if anybody remembers, Christafari, Out of Eden, and Grits, the first three uh, artists. And then they signed Zilch. And Zilch was made up of the four guys from DC Talks Band, Toby's like, hey, if I let them tour and open for us, they can play for us. I don't have to keep re-auditioning uh, bands when they go play for Stephen Curtis Chapman or <laughs> Michael W. Smith or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we just kept them there. Well, the lead singer from that band ended up walking away. They contacted me and said, hey, Jeff, will you fill in for us a little bit? So I was like, sure. So I filled in. God was all over that and uh, just had an incredible the first night. We're, at, we're backstage in the green room and they're saying, Jeff, would you consider being our lead singer? So I prayed about that. You know, I, I had my rap thing going, so I wasn't sure, you know, <laughs> but uh, it wasn't going anywhere, really. But um, 
so I did join Zilch, signed with Goatee, and kind of got a record deal through the back door, which is, it's good. It's good because, you know, I know that was the Lord's doing, didn't have anything to do with me. Yeah. Um, and so we started, you know, we started touring with, with uh, Zilch, and then it came time to make a new album. Well, we had, like the trend was back then, we had put in a worship song at the end of our set. But we didn't want to do like the acoustic thing. So we kind of did this modern worship version of Lord, I Lift Your Name on High. So okay. if anybody's heard that Sonic Praise album, that yeah. song is on there. But that's where it started with us as Zilch playing that song. And it's crazy, man. When we played that song, people would come run down to the altar. I mean, I was a good Baptist boy at that time. And I was like, what is going on here? People were lifting their hands, crying out to God. And, you know, at the same time, I was like, man, this is the most amazing thing because this is what I've always wanted. I mean, I wanted to have an impact for the kingdom, you know, and all these people are just seeking the Lord down at the altar. So you couldn't help but wonder what if we did more than one song. Long story, but basically we ended up starting to record a worship album for Zilch. About halfway through that process, we realized this is not Zilch. This is something else. God was breathing all over it. The songs were coming together, all this stuff. Um, if you know that album, that first album, we did like six or seven covers, you know, the I Want to Know You, that I Can Sing of Your Love Forever, the Open the Eyes of My Heart, uh, those songs. But we also wrote four songs on that album, which I was the primary writer for those four songs. Um Songs like Carried Away and Holy One and a um, couple other ones. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so those, but those songs, man, uh, those that, that album came out in 99, 1999. And uh, God just kind of breathed on it, man. We didn't even have a clue what we were doing. But it was like these two worlds converged of in my life. I had the music we did at church and yeah. then we had the music I love to do on the road and the write and record and all that stuff. Yep. All of a sudden, these two worlds just came together. Like, what? You could actually do worship music that glorifies God and music that you love? You know? Rock and roll. Modern sounding? That's crazy. Well, I have so I have so many questions. I didn't know I didn't know you were a rapper, for one. Uh, this is amazing. And d- definitely crazy. not the direction I thought we were going today. So, But I, I have several questions of this that are fascinating to me. Like, so is this like you're doing, you guys are doing the zilch thing when you're touring. Is this opening for DC talk? No. Um, that I think was the original idea. And I think they did some of that before I was there. We did one, we did one date with Michael Tate and he and I are like doing a dueling Jesus freak rendition. You know I mean? There was a little bit of that stuff, but we never, as far as when I was in the band, we never toured with DC talk. Gotcha. But so you're touring like basically Christian rock shows. Yep, absolutely. Festivals, all that stuff. And at that time, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't remember exactly, but I I definitely grew up, not Baptist, but as close as you can get to it, basically. So like there was no drums on stage in the early 90s, all that. And the suggestion that rock and roll would be in church was very scandalous in the mid 90s. So you're doing this, and what I'm, I'm most fascinated by is, like, d- w- did you feel internally, did you feel externally the tension of people being like, wait a second, you're doing something that's very rock and roll. You know, yeah. I want to know you, and some of that stuff is like, sounds like Third Eye Blind or something. Yep. Exactly. So, you know what I mean? That with, <laughs> like, that together with, with worship, 
how did that feel or was it just like, no, we're just doing it. And I, I'm curious how it like felt culturally for you. You know, I mean, I was always a little bit my, like my music. I was already doing rap stuff. So we'd already crossed way over into that world. So I was pretty and, and I always done kind of modern music and stuff. So just, I guess, you know, and we weren't like touring in churches per se, like on a Sunday morning yet. Uh, but it, it, it was, it was definitely different. I don't think I felt like, you know, I didn't feel like bad or feel like, you know, we were doing something that was, that was weird or, and I don't even remember getting a lot of like negative feedback. I think part of it is the way that we carried ourselves too. Cause I mean, we were very passionate for God. I mean, it wasn't like we were, and, and there was some of that. I mean, I remember sitting on a tour bus with Louis Giglio and him coming to us because he wanted to come and see us. Uh, this is after when we were Sonic Flood. He wanted to come see us because he wanted to invite us to come to Passion, to one of the Passion festivals. But he's like, I need to see these guys in person to make sure they're not just like some kind of cover band that's in it for the money kind of thing. And yeah. he actually sat on the tour bus and apologized. He's like, Jeff, I just want you to know, I'm sorry. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm sorry because I think I misjudged you guys after seeing you guys tonight. Like, you're just all about God. I remember him saying, like, the Holy Spirit was just wrapping his arms around you as you were leading and affirming what you were doing. So I think part of that was just the way we carried ourselves as well. Uh, certainly some backlash, but I don't remember being there. I think it was everybody was just ready. Like it was the time God was doing something there. It was a setup. We didn't make it happen. It was like, we were on the verge of needing something to break loose. And we just got to be a part of that. Yeah. Which is incredible. And can I say on behalf of, I think everyone here, but also everyone listening, how thankful we are that God used you guys in that way. I mean, I grew up, I'm listening to like Blink-182 and Green Day and the Foo Fighters, and then I go to church and I'm trying to play in the band. And there's that crazy tension of this is what I actually love musically. Yep. Also, I do love Jesus. And I, you know, I want those things to come together in worship. And I'm curious, like, did you, were you guys aware that, I mean, looking back even 10 years later, now 20 some years later on what was happening, you guys, and then there was Chris Tomlin and Matt Redman, all that was kind of starting to come to fruition. Delirious. Delirious, mm-hmm. yeah. You, did, were you guys aware of how much the Lord was doing in that, in the church? I, I don't think so, to be honest. Like, you know, it wasn't like we sat down and go, oh, there's this massive, incredible marketing scheme. We can, you know, I, right. I think we were just doing it, you know. And and like, it, like I said, it started with that Zilch song, and it touched my life so personally. I mean, I was learning how to worship God at that time. You know, I joke and say that the church I was in, if you raised your hand, somebody thought you had a question, you know, you in the back. You know, <laughs> I mean, so just learning how to what what is this worship thing? You know, I mean, it was only a horizontal experience for me growing up. There was no vertical like encounter. You don't talk about those things. And then all of a sudden it was like this whole new world. So it was fresh for me. And I don't even know if I really understood i mean we we felt you know the the favor of god and the the i don't know it's like the breath of god on this thing like you knew that you didn't come up with something like this because god was doing it the albums were flying off the shelves people were coming to to all the you know worship nights and everything and i mean it was incredible time to be doing music and of course after beating my head against the wall in Nashville for five years, trying to get a, a record deal and trying to do the rap thing and all that stuff. And now discovering 
that I, even though I was passionate about rap, it wasn't the music style. It was God had made me to be a worship leader. Yeah. And of course I didn't even know what that was because we had a guy, we, we, we would say a song leader or a song service, you know, and the person was leading songs more than like actually asking us to worship God. So I was learning what that was as we went and the Lord was teaching us. And and I I think I changed as much as it changed anybody else out there. Boy. Yeah. And it's, I I feel like it's one of those things. It's this microcosm of like, I want to see a documentary just about those four to five years between the late nineties and early two thousands, what happened in worship and Christian music. I wonder if there's a speaking of that real quick. uh, I mean, there is a documentary documentary coming out. Um, if you, if anybody wants to, you go to, uh, 90s worship, uh, these worship, I can't spell 90s. <laughs> anyway, there's a, there's the Instagram, uh, 90s worship, uh, and there's a docuseries coming out this next year 2024 literally they've interviewed everybody from darling check to martin smith to i mean just everybody from like Lindo cooley you know all these people from 90s worship and they came and did they're doing a whole episode on sonic flood and they came to north central and interviewed me for this whole thing uh and so that that whole story is going to be told. It's going to be Amazing. great. Amazing. I'm here for that. I, I mean, that was I was growing up and, you know, and, and seeing it and being a part of the church discussions and the worship wars and all this, like in the middle of all that. Yep. God bless you guys, man. That's it's and a 90s worship night. 90s uh, worship night. OK, that's anyway, the that's the name of the docuseries that's coming. Yeah, I think I think this is like the event page or whatever, but I think there's none of these worship docu series. But anyways, that's that that's one way to connect with it. Um, so amazing. Uh, okay, well, I I'm I'm curious about a few more things in in this piece of it. First of all, just a fun a fun fact question: Do you ever still lead a sonic flow? I know you still lead worship. Do you ever like yeah, oh, lead yeah. those tunes like for fun and and that's got to be interesting 25 years yeah later. i i do sometimes um it's tough because you know as an artist you're always especially as a songwriter you're always wanting to go on to what's next you know you're like ah oh, i got this new song i mean i one of my joys right now is i get to write with all of our students at north central part of my job is to bring songs together at north central university with the students and then produce albums with them or singles we usually release like three or four every year just released a single called thank you uh ncu worship live is the artist name that in the chat um man so i love that so i'm always wanting to you know do those new songs i do feel two things that the lord has been saying to me just this year is that i need to revisit some of those songs from the sonic flood days as well as God's been breathing new songs into me. I mean, I, I haven't recorded my own album since 2012. So I do feel like um, the Lord has some new songs and then also to revisit some of those. So I think the way I've, I've been thinking of doing it would is like tagging on like, Hey, I'm doing this song that everybody knows. And then all of a sudden throw in, I want to know you, you know, 
and and go into that uh, that type of thing. Um, I'm actually gonna as part of this '90s worship thing this summer. Uh, they asked me to, cause they're going to do, so there's the tour that's coming. There's the, the docuseries and there's an album. And so they asked me to do a reimagined version of all who are thirsty Remember that song. Cool. All who are thirsty. Yeah. yeah that's all. All who are weak, you know, and uh, I'm going to reimagine that song. And then also going to re-record, I'm going to record uh, a new song that I have still I, called Still I Will Worship. So I'm pumped about that. So there should be some, at least a single coming this fall of mine. And then that 90s worship thing will come out, I think, next year. So, Oh, that's amazing. That's uh, There's something to be said. We were actually just talking about this writing club last week. This idea of um, when it's, it's, it's not nostalgia as much as it is like, I remember I did, I want to know you, but I, before I moved here, I was a worship leader for a long time. And I, I pulled out, I, what I found was we had a lot of Gen X Christians in the church and they came to faith in the turn of the century. So they were, you know, all those songs were huge for them. And I thought, well, maybe we should pull some of those songs back out. It was kind of in an era when it wasn't as cool to do like an early Chris Tomlin song or whatever. Right. But I said, maybe we could just do a little reimagining of those. We did I Want to Know You one time. And I, I swear, it was like the heavens opened up. Because people's encounters with Jesus that they had as a coming to faith and stuff, it connects them. Yes. And there's something amazing. And I do think we're coming into an era, I, I really hope, when a lot of those songs in the early rock and roll worship industry, whatever you want to call it, um, are I think are coming back around and having a yeah. ministry life that's new and yeah, I agree. I agree. No, it's it's exciting to be to be a part of that stuff and and to have been a part of something that changed my life that honestly like, you know, and I say this again, I had nothing to do with coming up with any of this stuff. I just got to ride the wave, you know. Yeah. But something that really did change history. I mean, as far as in the church, the sound, I mean, there was no, for those of you who don't know, like there was no worship on the radio. There was worship was not something you ever heard in a, uh, in, you know, in a popular or like uh, concert venue or anything like that. You know, it was something you did in church, and but there was this crossover. Which again, I still there's there's a double edged sword with that because I think sometimes you know I tell a story of of how we were getting ready to record um, the heart of worship. Matt Redman's song. And that song was not really that popular yet when we recorded it. And I was in the studio by myself getting ready to record the lyrics and I didn't know it very well. So I had the lyrics in my hand, hit play on the record unit, started singing the song. I'm in there by myself, nobody around. I fall on my knees weeping to this song because it was like the veil was taken away from my eyes. And I realized that the industry, we had made this thing about us, you know, I bring you more than a song. You know, I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing that I've made it, all those things. And I realized this is what what has happened. Well, then I would say that watching the whole progression as now the Newsboys, Michael W. Smith, Rebecca St. James, uh, everybody and their brother, Third Day, did they changed and started doing worship albums, which at the time we were like, yes, this is awesome. God is being glorified. And it was awesome. But then the same thing kind of started happening. Everybody started, it became about the song again. They're like, oh, well, I like Newsboys version of that song. Well, I like Rebecca St. James version of that song. You know, I don't like those other. And it became, you know, this industry thing too. I still remember hearing, and I won't name any names, but 
hearing one of those popular artists uh, basically say, you know, I think the worship fad is over. We've done two albums. We're going to go back into what we were doing before. Like the worship fad. Oh, man. Okay. Well, I don't think it's over yet. It's still going to keep going for all of eternity, obviously. But it's changed everything. Um, you know, and I just get to be a part of that is, is amazing. Changed my life. It's incredible. I think I, 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 you mentioned something that's, um, I think is a constant tension for any Christian artist, songwriter, anybody who works in the Christian music industry of this, um, the intersection of like faith, Jesus and discipleship and art and business all being pushed together, which a lot of people would say, well, any two of those things shouldn't go together, much less all three of them. But did, w- was that a struggle for you back then? Because you said, you know, you mentioned like you guys sold a lot of records and there was yeah. obviously there's a lot of interest at some point. And I'm sure from the business side, there was a whole lot of conversations at some point. Was that a tension? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that happened during that time is I think every A&R guy and every record executive was ticked. Because who was this band, Sonic Flood, that was selling? I mean, they had worked their tails off all these people to to get behind their artists, spending thousands of dollars, millions of dollars to try to get these other artists to take. And all of a sudden, this little worship band comes along. Like, they're singing these little worship songs. Isn't that cute? You know, and it was selling like crazy. And so everybody was like, what is going on? This is ridiculous. Like, do we really have to dumb down that far to worship. I mean, you could like, that's, that's the, that was the concept, you know, it's like, Oh, what is this low level, you know? And of course the the music wasn't low level. So there was some, t- they were like, wait a minute, this is not normal. We're used to worship being like a sub genre, you know, but all of a sudden now we're like, wait a minute, this is creative. This is excellent. This is, and yet it's just worship, you know? So that, that tension was there. Um, honestly, guys, I, I, fought hard because I mean, from the day that I moved to Nashville in 1993, I, I probably aired too much on being conservative and careful because I knew I had seen so many of my, the people that I looked up to as artists fall morally. And I'm like, I am not going down that road. And I know it can, if it can happen to them, it can happen to me. And this is before I was anybody. So I'm just like, I mean, and still not anybody, but you know what I mean? Uh, Before, you know, I was just like, I want to protect myself. I want to protect my family. And so we we're even as Sonic Flood began to blow up, you know, I stayed very focused on that. Like we would spend time, so much time in the bus as on tour, we would be putting the worship music on. We'd be down on our face, praying, seeking the Lord. Um, we were on the Newsboys tour, um, which that's a long story, but 75 cities in three months. So that's six nights a week. And I'm singing the open the eyes of my heart every night. So people are always like, how did you, how are you able to do that and not grow tired of singing that same song? Yeah. And I just kept renewing it in the secret place. That's what, that was my goal. If I could get alone with God and seek him for real, when people weren't watching, then I could be authentic when people were watching, when they were watching me. And, and I still maintain to this day, I still want to see him high and lifted up. I still want to see him shining in the light of his glory. You know, I want to say, holy, holy, holy. And so I, I never made it about the song for me or about our arrangements or whatever. It was about the encounter and, and the way that God would change my life. So he kind of fighting that 
tendency to get sucked into the industry and and make it about money or you know i mean honestly i wasn't in it in sonic flood long enough i mean to ride that wave you know if anybody knows you know that the the money is all delayed so if we put out the album february of 1999 you're not seeing any of that stuff for a year we were still in a van and a trailer through the, that whole year until November of 1999, we got on our first tour bus. And that one was, that, that was when the album was selling like crazy. We probably already sold 300,000 units at that time, which, you know, was a lot. For a Christian album then, especially. Yes. And in your first like four months, you know. Yeah. Um, so, but it's very delayed. So, you know, I suppose it would be much more difficult had you had 10 years of success and you're just you easily get into that mode. I, I think of the line that uh, uh, DC talk wrote in what if I stumble, I think Michael Tate sings it. He says, uh, do I serenade for things I must afford? That yeah. line has stuck with me all my life because you can easily get to a place where that's the only reason you're writing music. That's the only reason that you're singing because you have to maintain, you've built this 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 uh, ministry, you've built this lifestyle, you've bought your house, your cars, whatever else, and now you have to maintain that. And if anybody has have ever had any type of success, you know that you really don't have control over that. Even the greatest artists out there, it eludes people. And so then you have this tension of, am I just doing this to try to maintain a lifestyle, or am I really called to this and really still tender and authentic before the Lord. Boy, that's, I mean, in that, I feel like that's a word for anyone who's a worship leader, anyone who's an artist, anyone, like all of that. Yeah. The motive behind writing songs and all that too. It was like, why am I doing this? You know? Yes. Boy. Well, on that note, that's a good transition into Jeff, you teach songwriting. So we'd be remiss not to pick your brain about sure. Like, I, I feel like, I don't know what this segment is called, but every now and then I like to do like a songwriting nerd, like just go deep in on songwriting craft stuff. And yep. you, we, we, I was we were texting and you said, here's a few things I'm passionate about. I'd love to just like throw at you and just, just, just tell us like, um, you know, t- teach us for a minute. Go to Jeff teacher mode. Let's go. A second. Okay. You mentioned several things. You said proper, proper emphasis, sticking to one major theme, staying yep. consistent with pronouns and tense. What is, uh, maybe here's a good way to enter it. Like what are, what are some, as you teach college kids songwriting, some beginner yep. blunders that you see often that you're constantly coming back to and teaching about? Yeah. Uh, a couple of those, like one would be, let's just go with the, the one major theme idea. One of the things that I find in a lot of songwriting and this can be amateur songwriters, but it can also be known songwriters, you know, where you kind of throw everything in the kitchen sink in the Bible, like literally the entire Bible's in your song, you know, and, and there's no connection between everything. It's just, it's all true. So it's funny because you, you have all these Bible ideas and stuff in your song, but uh, you can't pinpoint what that song is about. It's just Christianese, you know, it's just a bunch of Bible verses. And so, you know, I mean, anybody who's done songwriting for a while, you understand that that the, the more focused and laser-like you can make your topic and your idea so that you can say, this is what this song is about, you know, because again, when I challenge our students, I'm like, wow, guys, it feels like you have like two or three major themes. And they're like, 
Are you saying it's not true? I'm like, no, I'm not saying that what you said isn't true. It's just too much truth. You know, it's just uh-huh. overwhelming for the mind to think about. I, I'll pick on, I, I try to find little examples and I'll pick on a song. Uh, it's this, this is an old, um, old uh, elevation song. And they of course have so many great songs. So they won't mind if I pick on them a little bit old song called kingdom come. Um, and I remember uh, one of our worship teams bringing this song. I started reading the chorus. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't even know what this thing's about. So the, the, the chorus lyric goes like this. Oh God, arise up in us. We'll show the world how you love. Jesus, take our heart and make it yours. Salvation reign over us. The fight was won on the cross. We take heart for you have overcome the world. Like literally, that's the entire the entirety of the gospel right there. And, you know, if you start with the first line, it says, oh, God, arise up in us. First of all, you can't say arise up in us. You either have to say rise up or arise in us. But then it says, we'll show the world how you love. Well, that's evangelism. The next line says, Jesus, take our heart and make it yours. Well, that's surrender. Two different major themes. Like that's like, okay, now we want to surrender. Then the next one is salvation reign over us. And so now we're focused on salvation. The next line is the fight was won at the cross. Wait a minute. Now there's victory through the cross, which again, you could tie some of these together. And then the last one, we take heart for you have overcome the world. Like the, all of those could be, a song could be written about every single one of those lines and probably should be written. So that that's one of the things I think, and the way part of how I describe this I remember um, when I transitioned, I was in Goatee, and then I transitioned to another label a couple of years later. It was a good ending, good relationship, so I have a great, great relationship with Goatee. But they had slated to release a greatest hits album from Jeff Dio called The Worship Collection at the same time that I was releasing my next album with this other label. So you have these two albums coming out at the same time. And the thought is, oh, that's great, you know, lots of stuff. But what ends up happening, you have two albums come out at the same time, they compete against each other. Uh, and so that's kind of what happens when you have two major themes in your song. You know, if you're writing a song, uh, let's say about evangelism and justice, it's like those are great themes, but they're two major themes and they actually end up fighting against each other, which makes your song less able to be understood, less able to be you know, grabbed onto. You have to have something that hooks people in that's simple enough that they know what your song is about. So that's one thing I would say. Um, I can go yes, on, or you can pause me there. <laughs> well, I have a I have a, a a nuanced question in that. So you're let's say you're listening to a song, it's got two or three themes, and you're like, clearly this is there's too much tr- yeah. truth. I love how you said that because like it is all true, but there's too yeah. much truth in one song, and my head can't get around it as a worshiper. What do you do? Like, what are some fixes that you often will um, push people toward? Well, I think the, the biggest fix is to determine what do you want to write about? Like, that's the number one question. A lot of people will sit down at a piano or a guitar with a guitar and then just start singing stuff, which is good. But you've got to get into the mentality of having placeholder lyrics because placeholder lyrics are those lyrics that we're not committed to. People get so worried. Like, they think this is a download straight from heaven. And if I put it on paper, I can't change it. Like, no, just let it come out. Let it all come out. But then go back with a critical eye. And go, okay, what? Am I really saying, what do I want to say? And am I actually saying that, right? And then you go, okay, 
I identify that there's two different themes here. You have to decide which one do you want. The good news about this is you could probably come out with two different songs. Now you don't just have one, you've got two. So you separate out those ideas. You bring, And a lot of times it'll happen because the chorus is about one thing and the verse is about something else. Well, maybe you need to take those two sections, separate them, write a new chorus for the verse theme or and write a new verse for the chorus theme and you have two different songs there. So you have to be able to get to the place. And this is huge. Like if you're a songwriter, you have to be able to get to the place where you don't hold too tightly to your first version, right? We understand the first iteration, probably 70% of that needs to go. Now, sometimes you stumble on something where it just comes out and you're like, wow, this is amazing. But, but not usually. Usually it takes work and you come up with some things that are really good, but then you have to take and you have to work on those things uh, and hold loosely to every aspect of your song, including melody, including the rhythmic aspect, all that stuff. Man, this is so good. This is masterclass. You should teach this stuff, Jeff. <laughs> I got another one. I got another one. I know okay. we don't have a lot of time. Um, one, another big one where I see lots of mistakes is um, emphasis. All right. So we have this, we, we do this thing called ta-tum, where ta is your unemphasized syllable and tum is your emphasized syllable. So like, for example, if you were to do the song Amazing Grace and you were to pick out the tums, which is the accented syllables, it's like amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, right? And because the way that the, the rhythm goes when you speak it ought to be at least 95% of the way the rhythms are set up in the way that you sing it. It would sound really funny if I flipped the emphasis on this song and went, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You know, that sounds really strange if we sang it like that. Um, for example, uh, you guys remember this song, it's an old song. And I actually think, you know, we, we understand this. Rules are, I wouldn't say rules are meant to be broken, but some of the great things that happen in, in, in fresh songs are where you're breaking a rule. But you have to know the rules if you're going to be successful at breaking the rules. So the rule here is that you don't want to put emphasis on a syllable that is not the way you would say it. So, for example, the word worship. You know, if you think about it for a second, you have to say it out loud sometimes. But you go, OK, which is the accented syllable? Think about it for a second, guys. Worship. Which one is the accented syllable? And of course, if you think about it for a second, the way I do it is I just flip it around and see if the other way works. And I said worship, and then I go worship. <laughs> you would never say I worship the Lord. You know that sounds funny. It's I worship the Lord. So that worship, so wor is your tum, ship is your ta. Well, you got this old song from Gunger, and I think that they, he breaks the rules here in a good way. But I want you to see how he breaks it. So he goes. You make beautiful things. You make beautiful things out of the dust. So he's breaking the rules. He's not breaking the rules the first time he sings beautiful. You make beautiful things because beautiful is tum-ta-ta. Beautiful, right? Tum-ta-ta. Well, then the the second line, he goes, you make beautiful. So now he's doing ta-ta-tum. And it's a reverse emphasis of the way that the rhythm should normally be sung. I would say that most of the time that's bad. 
because uh, it makes it awkward for the singer to figure out how to sing your song. This, I think, becomes a hook, which ends up being a really good thing for this song, but I think it's rare. Uh, another example of that, I don't know if you guys remember the song In the River. I love that song. There is a river uh, flowing where good, goodness flows. There is a fountain that drowns sorrows. There is an ocean. So technically, sorrows is reversed as well. Now, I think they're okay in breaking this rule, but sorrows would normally be sorrows, tum-ta. But the way that the melody demands and the rhythm demands that you sing that is, there is a fountain that drowns sorrows, and you're emphasizing that rose, which makes it a little bit awkward. Imagine if instead of like, there is a river, you use the word canal, right? You got your thesaurus out and, okay, what's another word, uh, you know, for for river? (laughs) There is a canal, you know. That would be really, it's a really bad example of how you, you would have to flip it around because canal is ta-tum, river is tum-ta. So the way that emphasis is written, you don't want to put a, a word in there that's backwards. Let me give you, uh, I'm, I'm going to put this in the chat too. Jeff, we're but, soaking this up right now. So just just keep going. Yep. No okay. apology necessary. Just <laughs> listen, if you want to do 201, 301, 401, we're here all day. I mean, what? <laughs> Dude. well, and we could do it again too. We should. Uh, here's, here's, I'll, I'll put a thing in here. Three things that automatically bring or add emphasis. Okay. Put this in the chat. Three things that automatically bring or add emphasis, whether you like it or not. Mm. So if you put, if you have a word like river, that's tum ta, and you want it to be tum ta, well, if you put, the uh, if you put the word ship on the on a high note that's held out that is also on beat one so those are those three things high notes long notes strong beats you're you're killing yourself because you're gonna go one two three four worse let's say one two three four worship Worship is what we want to do. Worship is how we're going to live. You know, that sounds ridiculous because you're doing worship comes, ship comes on the downbeat. So that's why we go worship in spirit and truth, right? Worship. You want to hold out word. That's not a great melody, but, but you get the idea there. If you go worship is what, you know then that's where we find that your your song feels awkward. A lot of people, you can feel it in your mouth when you say this stuff, but you don't realize it, so you don't know how to fix it. Uh, so we actually do exercises in our songwriting class where I, go, I give them rhythms, and they have to match words to that. And then we'll do the opposite way as well. I'll give them a phrase, and they have to create a rhythm that works well like we don't even give a melody. We just 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 do the rhythm. A lot of a lot of songwriters overlook the rhythmic aspect of songwriting. You're focused on ryth- uh, melody and lyric. When rhythm is like the carrier, it's a carrier for all of your words and all of your melodies. And if it's fighting against you because you're emphasizing certain uh, you know, syllables that you shouldn't be, then it makes it like a tongue twister, and it's difficult 
for people to sing. You, you ever been in the, the situation where you're at church and you're learning a new song and you're trying to process information very quickly, right? And so you're guessing at what this phrase is going to be. Have you ever been the person who sang out when nobody else did because you didn't know a song and you thought it was going to be a certain way? I've been that person like, hallelujah. Oh, I'm sorry. I came in early, you know, but you're assuming based on rhythm and the way that the words, people don't even know that they know this stuff, but yeah. they know that hallelujah is hallelujah. It's tum, tum, ta, tum. So if you're like, Hallelujah. I mean, you know, you probably get away with it if you write the right melody, but uh it, it's it's more it's more normal to be like hallelujah to the king, you know, something like that, right? So that's emphasis. Uh <laughs> man, that's like guys, I hope everyone's taking notes. This is um we do something every month called Song Workshop where people bring songs and then you know, me and a guest. We definitely need to have you come to Song Workshop sometime, Jeff. But this is um, th- this. I've never seen it broken down this way. But the things that add emphasis, whether you like it or not, high notes, long notes, strong beats, are also big. The rhythmic thing is a big passion of mine. As someone who loves a lot of groups outside of Christian music that are so good at rhythmic um, delivery, even yes. you mentioned hip hop, and like there's so many hip hop artists. This is that they're masters at of their craft yes. is saying things like in a dialogical way that makes sense. Line to line to line to line to line. Um, and it all happens in the subconscious as a worshiper. Like you're not thinking about any of this as you go into it. And I wonder, I, I think I know your answer to this, but would you say this is especially important in worship songs that we're trying to teach people in church? Yeah, well, I mean, I, my first thought is always, yes, absolutely. So important in worship songs. But is there any song that you're writing that you don't want people to sing? <laughs> like, right? Like, I don't like, isn't that the point of writing a song? I don't care if it's a pop song, a performance song. You're not hoping that the congregation or the people, the audience is just going to sit there and stare at you. The best songs are when, when the, the artist can back away, whether you're a performance artist or not, you want the crowd singing those songs. So they're all worship songs in a sense that we want people to sing them. So anything that you can do, and here's the thing, right? There are barriers that we put up that keep people from listening to and singing our songs. So if you can get rid of as many of those barriers as possible, there's much more likely chance that people are going to sing and gravitate toward your song. And rhythm rhythm issues with wrong emphasis is one of the big barriers. That's so good. Goodness, that's uh, so good. Well, Jeff, uh, I want to jump into this Q&A with these guys here and let them... I've never seen the chat more active, I think, on one of our breakouts there's so many uh so much excitement here um but one thing we always do as we wrap up is um would you pray over not only those of us here on the call today but also folks listening um pray over us absolutely father we just thank you so much that you're in everything you're the ultimate songwriter uh lord you had moses writing songs you had jeremiah writing songs you had all these people david obviously lord you, you but you're you're the creator of music you're the you're the ultimate creator uh, and you even co-wrote a song with uh, with Moses in, in Revelation 15. So we know that you are a songwriter. You sang, you sing over us, Zephaniah 317. Lord, you sing over us. So I thank you, Lord, that right now you are singing new songs over every single person in this uh, uh, listening and participating, Lord, in this call. 
God, you are singing a new song, not just so that they can write a song for others, but you're singing a song of love over these people here, God, that you care for them, that you see them, that you know that they are yours, Lord God. And I pray, Lord, if anything else, Lord, I pray that they would they would sense your presence and they would know that the song of their life is a song of worship and relationship with you. And I pray, God, that you would bring increase. I pray that you would help them, help me, help all of us to spend more time in the secret place. Lord, we want to do stuff for your kingdom. We want to make disciples and share the gospel and, and, and create music that will touch people's lives. But Lord, more than anything, we want to worship you and honor you in our lives. So I pray, Lord, that you bring encouragement and strength. I pray that you would call each one of us back to that secret place, just as in Matthew 6, where you tell us to to close the door and pray to our Father in secret. I thank you, Jesus, for the way that you've made a way for us to come to the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit in fellowship and in relationship. And then out of that relationship, Lord, I pray that you would birth songs, Lord, out of genuine communication and connection with you. I pray that you would birth songs in every person on this call, Lord, those who are listening now and later, Lord, that you would birth new songs that would, first of all, be a way for us to be able to express our love for you, but then also for these songs to be able to put the words in people's mouths that they need to be able to express uh, how much they love God, whether it's a worship song or just a truth or uh, something that makes you smile or cry or whatever it is, God. I pray that you would bring your anointing. That's what I ask, Lord. Anoint us as songwriters. Anoint us as ministers of the gospel, Lord. Anoint us to touch a hurting world. This world is hurting so much, Lord, but you have given us hope. And so we lean into your hope. And I pray that you'd help us to be able to put melodies and rhythms to the messages that you give us and help us to be faithful with the messages that you give us. Just as Jeremiah, you called Jeremiah in chapter one, Lord, you you told him that to not be afraid to say whatever it is that you want us to say, uh, that you wanted to say, Lord. So I pray that you would uh, do that in our lives too, God. Whatever it is that we need to say, whatever you want to speak through us, we're the messengers. Uh, we're we're the we're, we're the messengers, and you're providing the message. So I thank you for that, Lord. We just pray your blessing uh, over this time. We thank you for each individual. Pray you bless them and their families in Jesus' name. Amen. hope that was as meaningful for you as it was for us. If you're a songwriter and you're resonating with any of what you heard today, we'd love to get to know you more and introduce you to some folks in our community. All of our podcast interviews and guest lectures come from either our Writing Club monthly breakouts or our annual Writing Worship Conference. Check out the show notes to learn how to get more involved with Writing Club, our mentorship taught by our founder, Chrissy Nordoff, or stuff we talked about in today's episode. Find us on Facebook at the Writing Worship Community, on Instagram at writingworship.co, and our website, writingworship.co. We love meeting new folks and supporting songwriters, so be sure to stop in, say hello, and get to know us a little bit. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The times I've grown most as a songwriter are the times I've had mentors showing me the way. If you're looking to grow as a songwriter, we're now accepting applications for our Worship Songwriter Mentorship. Now it's available only a few times each year. 
The Worship Songwriter Mentorship is a songwriting intensive that will help you craft impactful worship songs. It's a course created by Dove Award-winning and Grammy-nominated, drumroll here please, (laughs) our founder, pro songwriter Chrissy Nordoff. It's a small group community, and it's led by other songwriters over the course of nine weeks. It's an intensive course and a small group co-writing environment, and that means you'll be added to a special group of about 12 writers, give or take. Each group is led by experienced songwriters, some of them my dear, dear friends, and I've even gotten to lead a group or two. Rachel here, by the way. We love the church, and we love to champion fellow worship songwriters just like yourself. In this mentorship, you'll learn how to write songs for you and your congregation. You'll go deeper in your intimacy with Jesus. You'll get the tools needed to help craft songs more easily and never run out of creative ideas. Okay, I know it sounds too good to be true, but trust me, this course is a game changer. You'll learn how to leverage your unique songwriting personality and connect with other like-minded writers in a meaningful way. Truly, I can't think of another course, group of people, community that has impacted my songwriting the way that this mentorship has. If you're wanting to take the next steps in your songwriting journey, then apply now at the link in our show notes. We hope to see you there.